It's still early in the election year, and at this point, the polls don't really mean anything. So let's take a look at them anyway, because life is just too long and we've got to do something to kill the time. The latest polls show that Joe Biden would defeat President Donald Trump if the election were held today in the fairyland of the media's imagination, where lies turn to chocolate bars and melt on the tongue. Biden is leading in several battlegrounds, including Gettysburg and Antietam, where many veterans of the Civil War remember him fondly and can't understand what the hell happened to him when he used to be such a fun guy and his Abe Lincoln impersonation was second to none. 73% of people who hate Trump so much they can't pry their teeth apart say they would vote for a potted plant before they would vote for the president. They would also vote for an overturned garbage can, a used toilet brush, a collection of orange rinds, or Joe Biden. 66% of people who wish the lockdown would never end and they could just keep receiving those unemployment checks that are higher than the money they made working say they would vote for Biden if he would give them something for free, preferably a motorbike or maybe one of those drones that you can use to take videos of the girl next door when she's doing yoga. 85% of people who plan to vote by mail say they prefer Biden because he kind of looks a lot like they do, even though they've been dead for three years. And a full 92% of voters who can't construct an English sentence say they'd vote for Joe Biden because the garage on their hairy legs with a chainsaw, you know the thing. 56% of Trump voters want the pollster to get off their lawn. And the other 44% didn't answer the questions because they couldn't stop laughing. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo Birds are winging, also singing Hunky-dunky-dee-doo Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy The world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray It makes me want to sing Oh, hurrah, hooray We're still trying to build up those subscriptions on the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel. Please go over and subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. And uh, and it helps us. And we're following your comments. We do pay attention to your comments. We've got one from Tommy Jacobs, who says, my wife has never watched The Clavin Show, but has started singing along with the intro every time she hears it. Uh, and Robert Carlson answers, plot twist, your wife secretly is in love with the great bald keeper of knowledge. And only by her inception do you want to even watch the show. It's all an elaborate ruse while your wife slowly leaves you for Andrew. So we're having a very complex fantasy life on uh, YouTube uh, and have your wife call me. Uh, All right. My friend, (laughs) comedian Evan Sayet, my friend, comedian Evan Sayet, likes to say that the left is not just always wrong, but always as wrong as wrong can be. That is, they're not just incorrect. They actually get things exactly backwards. There's a lot of truth to this. And as the Chinese virus crisis transforms into a reopening story, we can actually take a step back and see that the the news coverage has not just been wrong, it's been exactly the opposite of the truth, which means we have to think about what's the real overall story and what's the hidden narrative. Every day we've heard that there was some scandal in the Trump administration when there wasn't, and every day the press touted the Kung flu response of blue governors in places like New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Michigan. But actually, Trump's done a good job while the blue state governors were committing acts of politically correct stupidity that left the old and vulnerable dead. Cuomo in New York, Wolf in Pennsylvania, Killer Phil Murphy in New Jersey, and Uber Storm Fuhrer Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, these non-Asian murder hornets actually instituted policies demanding that nursing homes take in people who were suffering from flu Manchu, and thousands died because of that. And yet, because of the press coverage, their ratings are still very high. Cuomo is rated somewhere in the 80% positive. 
But wait, there's even more than this. Nancy Pelosi's attempt to bully Congress into sending bailout money to the states is actually an attempt to have working states like Florida and Texas cover up another real scandal, the failing socialism in states like New York and California. She wants to transfer money from successful red states to failing blues. And all the while this is happening, the press is instituting another cover-up, another lie, which is that Joe Biden is a realistic candidate. He's doing a very bad imitation of a normal old-style Democrat politician, when really what he is is a wooden dummy being used by socialist ventriloquists like Pelosi and Bernie Sanders to push their leftist policies under cover of normalcy. So you got bad Trump, good Democrats. That's the story. The real story is bad and incompetent socialists trying to sneak their way into the White House behind a make-believe candidate, while the rest of us prop up their failures. That's the actual story that's being hidden, and the story they're telling is the opposite one. Let us talk about Ashford University. When it comes to your future, you want to dream big, the bigger the better, and the dream of a better tomorrow starts with a degree from Ashford University. Look, we're all going to be uh, looking for work soon, and the more degrees you have, the better it is for you. The more education you have, the better it is for you to find a job. A lot of competition. Ashford University's online bachelor's and master's degree programs allow you to learn in a convenient and flexible schedule from home. At Ashford, expert faculty teaches you real-world skills from real-world experience in online classes built for life's twists and turns. And you can learn from home whenever you feel comfortable. You can pursue a degree in one of Ashford's 60-plus programs like business administration, healthcare administration, and psychology with 24-7 access to your classroom and daily support. So dare to dream big. Your tomorrow starts today. At Ashford University, there's no fee to apply or standardized testing required to enroll. Go to ashford.edu slash Andrew. That's ashford.edu slash Andrew. Ashford.edu slash Andrew. Not all programs are available in all states. So listen, we have to start with Brian DeSantis because this is just too delicious. Governor of Florida, uh, he, he he came under fire from the media because of the firing of a woman whose job it was to display data obtained by the Department of Health's epidemi, epidemi, the disease people. There was, she was supposed to uh, publish this information. And so they basically accused him of hiding information. And he went off on the press. Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. Not only do we have a lower death rate, well, we have way lower deaths generally, we have a lower death rate than the Acela Corridor, D.C., everyone up there. We have a lower death rate than the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. But even in our region, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida has the lower death rate. And I was the number one landing spot from tens of thousands of people leaving the number one hot zone in the world to come to my state. So we've succeeded, and I think that people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative, it challenges their assumption. So they got to try to find a boogeyman. Maybe it's that there are black helicopters circling the Department of Health. If you believe that, um, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. 
this is what has got to happen. And this, I, I believe, is inspired by Donald Trump. Donald Trump has shown them the way that they've got to go after the narrative. They've got to go out after the press and they've got to do it with both guns blazing. They really do. And this is I mean, this is just delicious stuff because it's so necessary because the story they're telling is untrue. You know, every time you hear a reporter say 90,000, it's more than 90,000 Americans have died. Well, yeah, that's true. But 30 percent of those are in New York and New Jersey. 30% of the deaths are in New York and New Jersey. If we just took the Acela corridor away, uh, the, our death toll would be much, much different. So who do you blame? Do you blame the guy who runs the country, the whole country and overseas and basically is in charge of sending equipment to the states? Or do you blame the guys in the states? I mean, part of it is just tragedy. I get that. But, but part of this is malfeasance on the part of these governors that they are covering up. And it's got to be this way. You know, uh, Bill McGurn in the Wall Street Journal wrote a great column about Jerry Falwell Jr. Junior at Liberty University, the uh, you know evangelical university uh, in West Virginia, about the fact that he was accused uh, of when he restarted classes and he did it very carefully with only a small number of students coming back. They said, "Oh, the blood! That's oh, the bloodshed!" You know, they re- reported the story before it happened. Of course, it never happened. They did everything very carefully. It all worked out very well. We're waiting, you know, I'm sure you're holding your breath, waiting for the corrections. The corrections never come. So it's this narrative they keep hammering. They just move on to the next uh, narrative. And it's the opposite of the truth. And we've got to correct it every step of the way. All right. Let us take a look. Let's start by taking a look at Joe Biden. I want to I want to start with taking a look at Joe Biden. And, you know, look, I always like to be I always like to be fair to Joe Biden and let him state you know, his policies so you can compare them to Trump, because that's what an election is. It's a comparison of policy. So let's hear from Joe Biden. And here he is. He's reading from a script, so he won't have the usual problems. Uh, Cut number eight. And there's a lot we can do that related to what has already been passed with small businesses that the president just uh, just hasn't hasn't done. Look, um, you know, uh, um, uh, a combination of uh, failing to move quickly. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding. Me. I'm t- telling you, this guy is a, he's a ventriloquist dummy. Whoever is speaking through him is speaking through him. And the reason remember, let's not forget why he's there. He is there because the Democrat establishment said we are never going to win with firebrand socialist Bernie Sanders. So we'll put this guy, we'll hold him up, we'll prop him up, we'll turn him into a hologram, we'll broadcast him. And in a way, they got a big break. They got a big break with this uh, with all with this Chinese flu because he doesn't have to come out of his basement. And he just po- pops up for a couple of minutes a day and he can almost string a sentence together. Almost. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, right now the polls show him leading. They don't really mean anything. The battleground states are very close. But eventually he's going to have to come out. I mean, eventually he has to come out. They can't keep him down there forever, I, I think. And so, uh, you know, and, and look, they know who he is. They know who he is. How do I know? Well, let's take a little trip back in time when Obama was president. And every now and again, every now and again, they could afford to make a joke. The left could afford to make a joke at their own expense. Let's take a look at John Stewart. Remember that picture of Joe Biden nuzzling that poor little redheaded girl? You know, he's got his face just planted in her hair and she's got this look on her face like, please, God, remove this guy from my body. Uh, So John Stewart actually did. You remember The Daily Show, right? This is back in the day, back in the Obama day. Jon Stewart on his Daily Show just put up that picture, and this was his reaction. Cut five. Ah, I can still see it! Ah, What could you possibly be saying to her? 
Be still, my child. <laughs> While I absorb your precious life source. It's apparently a Senate rite of passage. You're not officially sworn in until Delaware Joe has felt up one female member of your immediately family. Immediate family. So, so then, who does he have on? He has one of the many comedians he gave a start to, John Stewart, Samantha B. And Samantha B. is playing a reporter who has just had a an interview with Biden. And because some of you are listening to this and can't see it, I'm sorry to give the joke away, but she's got handprints on her body, different color handprints on her breasts. And when she turns around at the end of the routine on her rear end, she's got these big handprints and she's just come back from an interview with Joe Biden. Here's that interview. He swears he's seen the error of his ways. And for her part, this reporter believes him. Sam, I'm just a uh, uh, curiosity. Mm -hmm. What was Biden doing while you spoke with him, Bunny? Uh, well, he had just finished writing, I will not grope women a hundred times on a chalkboard. And then he was eating strawberry preserves without any utensils. So, <sighs> so he's keep him busy with his oh, pants. Oh, a whirlwind yeah. of activity, John. Yeah. And then as he began to change the oil on his motorcycle while also enjoying some Cheetos, you know, I turned to leave, you know, and say goodbye. But Biden turned to me and he said, come back, come back so I can shake your hand. And I did, John, the vice president shook my hand. Can you sure. believe it? <sighs> Bye. Great interview, Sam. Thank uh, you so much. <laughs> So that was back in the day, right, when they could afford to do that. So they not only is she making fun, not only is Samantha B, who is now just all just uh, spitting invectives at Donald Trump, not only is she making fun of Joe Biden being a groper, because this is before Me Too, when we had to take that, when we that now we have to take that seriously. Back then it was a joke. Not only was she making fun of that, but she was making fun of the press for being so enamored of him that she's actually covering this after he's been all over her, after he's had his hands all over her. So they know. They they know who Joe Biden is and they're not covering it and they're covering up for him. Why? Why? Because they need to get this guy in. They're not getting him in to be Joe Biden. He's not Joe Biden anymore. In the last six months, go back on YouTube, go back and watch a year ago. A year ago, he could put together an English sentence. He's got, I think it's called aphasia. He just can't get the words out anymore. He's deteriorating in front of us and they're covering up for him and they're allowing him to cover up in his basement. Why? Well, you know, George Stephanopoulos had Bernie Sanders on and Stephanopoulos asked Sanders, hey, how come, you know, some of your voters, these we remember these radical voters from uh, uh, Project Veritas, right? We remember them saying the streets are going to burn if we don't get our way and everything's going to uh, come toppling down if we don't get our communist candidate in there. And George Stephanopoulos says to Bernie Sanders, well, how come? How are they going to move from you and your open, you know, Stalinist communism democratically elected, of course, to Joe Biden. And here's Bernie's answer. Cut four. At the end of the day, uh, the vast majority of the people uh, who voted for me, who supported me, will understand and do understand uh, that Donald Trump is the most dangerous president uh, in the modern history of this country. He's a pathological liar. He's a racist and a sexist, a homophobe, etc. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, they will be voting uh, for Joe Biden. But I think what Joe is going to have to do, and he's beginning to move in that direction, is to say to those working class people, say to those young people, say to those minorities, listen, I understand your situation. So I think that Joe and his staff understand that. I think they are going to reach out 
uh, to our supporters and come up with an agenda that speaks to the needs of working families, of young families, of minority communities. So don't worry, Joe is going to be a leftist. And if he's not a leftist, if he himself won't mouth uh, Bernie Sanders policies, it doesn't matter because Nancy Pelosi will really be the one, the, the Joe McCarthy working, uh, what is the Bergen, working the uh, working the ventriloquist dummy and really ha- saying it will really be her words and her policies. She's saying he's saying. And then what are his, her policies? Well, she just introduced a three trillion dollar relief bill with one trillion dollars that goes to the states. And the lie that they're telling you is that, oh, the states need to be bailed out because nobody's working because we shut down the, the economy. But really what that means is that the states that are working, Florida and Texas, Georgia, the, the red states, are going to be bailing out the reckless policies of New York and California. These guys have been negotiating with these uh, state unions, these uh, government unions, and giving them pension because pension doesn't kick in until the guy giving away the pension is out of office. So he never has to pay for it. But ultimately, these pensions come in and California is broke. They keep saying, oh, well, we balance the, the budget. No, because the pension debt is so huge. And the Medicaid debt, which just goes on infinitely. Here is Rick Scott, right? Governor who was governor of Florida, now a senator, telling, pointing out the fact that in New York, taxes go up, the deficit gets bigger, the people are bleeding, they're leaving the state. Whereas in Florida, people are coming into the state, there are no state taxes, and there's a balanced budget. And here he talks about how that happened. This is Rick Scott. I got elected governor when Cuomo got elected governor. And what I watched the whole time is people got fed up with New York because, you, you know, the taxes were so high, the regulation, regulations were so high. I mean, Cuomo just wasted money year after year. He would never watch. He would never make tough choices that you have to make in business. Families have to make. We have to live within our means. Not Andrew Cuomo. He'd just borrow more money every year. And then he'd get mad at me because I would recruit, you know, New York companies and New Yorkers to come and say, hey, come to my state. The weather's better. The regulation's less. And you can keep some of your money. The New York won't let you keep it. And now he says, oh, now all those people moved to Florida. Oh, we still want them to pay New York, pay off New York's budget problems. I mean, we're not doing it. I'm going to fight this. It is wrong for Floridians. The Floridians have to pay for California, Illinois or New York excesses. That's wrong. It's it's not only wrong. It's the whole point of the exercise. It's the entire thing that we're seeing now. Look, we know what socialism does, right? We've seen Venezuela. We've seen people frying their cats on garbage fires so they have something to eat. And we know this is what happens. And yet what they're saying is this country can hide that by overriding federalism, where you the states have to take responsibility for their own policies. We'll override that by moving the money from states that work like Florida and Texas and Georgia. And we'll move all that money over to these states that don't work, that have been spending without any responsibility whatsoever. And we'll do it while we have this hologram Joe Biden standing up there pretending to be a 1950s Democrat helping working people. An amazing, amazing scam being pulled off with the help of the press. All right, we're going to talk more about our friends Andrew Cuomo and some of the other killer governors. Uh, But first, let's talk about Helix Sleep. You know, you've got to get a good night's sleep. And when I say you, I mean you. I don't have to get a good night's sleep because I haven't slept in 30 years. But for those of you who need a good night's sleep, even I, lying in bed, want to be lying on a comfortable mattress. That's why I'm lying on a Helix Sleep mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that you take. It takes two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. And whether you sleep on your side or your 
hot sleeper, or you, you're like me, you just lie awake thinking of what uh, you're going to say next. <laughs> you want to like sleep is rated the number one mattress by GQ and Wired, and CNN called it the most comfortable mattress they've ever slept on. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin, take that two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix mattresses have a 10-year warranty. They're made right in America, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Get up to $200 off at helixsleep.com slash Clavin. You want to be comfortable as you're lying awake at night thinking, how do you spell Clavin? I'm not sure. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. <laughs> That's, I just said that. Why did I say that? I just, the show is getting repetitive. All right. So again, remember, every time you hear reporters say to Trump, there are 90,000 dead. Remember, one third of those, one third of those are in New York and in New Jersey. And many of them are in, um, are in, were nursing homes where Cuomo insisted they had to take, they had to take people with Kung flu uh, into the nursing homes. And then Things spread. The things spread in the nursing homes because of those policies happened in Pennsylvania, happened in New Jersey, still happening. Gretchen Whitmer, uh, Orban, uh, you know, Uber Sturmfuger, uh, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan won't take the order off. She's left it in place. So we're glad, you know, all of we understand how Donald Trump's necktie and his medicine and his uh, weight is all being covered. Very, it's very important that we all hear about that. But don't worry about it because Chris Cuomo is covering Andrew Cuomo. Here is a, a video of that coverage. This is the normal swab I'm holding up here now and for everybody at home. A very valuable object. There's only one company in the entire country that makes these up in Maine. All right, here's the swab. Is it true that this was this swab that the nurse was actually using on you and that at first it went into your nose and disappeared so that in scale, this was the actual swab that was being used to fit up that double barrel shotgun that you have mounted on the front of your pretty face. So that's, you know, he's holding up bigger and bigger, gigantic mock swabs, uh, you know, swabs. Uh, they're just huge that obviously someone at CNN had to construct uh, because they didn't want to be covering the fact that Andrew Cuomo killed all those old people. <laughs> Here's a funny swab. And what about those old people you killed? They didn't want to do that. So they just constructed bigger and bigger swabs. They're going to have to get a swab so big that it actually covers the camera so we can't see the truth of what's happening. And and just to make this even more scurrilous, just to really make this ugly. Cuomo is now blaming Donald Trump. He's blaming Donald Trump for his policy of sending people in. I'm reading this from the Daily Caller, but it comes originally from the New York Post. Uh, Democratic New York governor Andrew Cuomo blamed President Donald Trump for mass deaths in nursing homes after forcing long-term care facilities. It should be after he forced long-term care facilities to take in coronavirus positive patients. The governor of New York told reporters to ask President Trump about the nursing home deaths. The New York Post reported arguing that his state was merely following the federal government's lead in sending coronavirus positive patients to nursing homes. Anyone who wants to ask, this is Cuomo speaking, anyone who wants to ask why did the state do that with COVID patients in nursing homes? It's because the state followed President Trump's CDC uh, guidance. Cuomo told reporters when asked whether he regretted the directive. Okay, 
Republican New York Rep. Elise Stefanik criticized Cuomo for blaming Trump. Governor Cuomo continues to point fingers at the federal governments, but here are the facts regarding CDC guidance. The governor's decisions to mandate that that nursing homes accept COVID-19 patients completely disregards the case-by-case approach recommended by CDC. In other words, the CDC was saying, if you can do it safely, do it. But they just made it a sweeping, politically correct. You've got to take these people in. It is just amazing. And and Cuomo rescinded the order. He rescinded the order because he saw it wasn't. You know who hasn't? Gretchen Whitmer. Uber Sturmfuhrer, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, he, she continued to extend. She extended the protections for all employees and residents in, in long-term facilities. It's critical that employees at long-term care facilities have access to the resources they need. This is what it says. But what it means is they've got to keep taking sick people into nursing homes. And then there's Killer Phil, Killer Phil Murphy in New Jersey. Now, I have this just pause for a minute here. He was interviewed by MSNBC's Willie Geist. And obviously, MSNBC left-wing uh, stations, so they're touting fear, they're touting, you know, Democrats and all this stuff. But Willie Geist, we got to give him credit. He asked this question twice. He says, are you sorry that you didn't pull, uh, rescind this order the way Cuomo did? Are you sorry you didn't pull this order the way Cuomo did? And listen to Killer Phil as he basically dodges the, qu- I mean, it's amazing. He dodges the question. Was that a mistake? And are you looking at overturning that in the same way that Governor Cuomo did in New York? Yeah, so Willie, the tragedy within the tragedy, you've said it, is in long-term care facilities. That's not just in New Jersey, it's in the country, but it certainly is in New Jersey. Uh, and a big percentage of the lost lives come from there, uh, including, as you said, uh, from our veterans' homes. It's been an incredibly uneven performance by the operators. We started long before March 31st, our de- Department of Health uh, started uh, on this in, in, with directives for long-term care. We've put the National Guard in, the VA is in these homes. The attorney general is actually uh, doing an investigation. We hired a national firm, not just to tell us when this is over, what we could have done differently. We want them to tell us now what we could do differently or could have done differently. They're actually working on that right now. I don't want to jump the gun. He's actually blaming the nursing homes for his the results of his directive. That is what the guy is doing. He is looking straight into a camera. And Geist, I got to say, Willie Geist at MSNBC, he was very polite. He said, yes, some of the nursing homes have performed badly, but, and he asked the question again, and of course, Murphy dodges the question again. This is, this is amazing stuff. These are actual scandals, actual malfeasance. Uh, if, you know, in, in fact, if, if Andrew Cuomo came out and said, yeah, that was a terrible mistake, he's never taken, he did rescind the order, which is good, the directive, but He's never taken responsibility for what happened, and none of these guys is taking responsibility, and now Cuomo's blaming Trump, which is amazing, right? If they came out and said, yeah, we made a tragic error, these things, we never saw this before, Uh, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, and we make mistakes— The problem with that is it would ruin the narrative that Donald Trump is doing something wrong. Just amazing stuff. And meanwhile, they're trying to make a... um, they're trying to make a scandal out of the fact that Trump has fired the inspector general in the State Department. They're trying to say that he's covering up uh, for Mike Pompeo, uh, that Mom- Mike Pompeo was being investigated by the inspector general. Pompeo says that's not true. We have a clip of that. There are claims that this was for retaliation, for some investigation that the inspector general's office here was engaged in. It's patently false. I have no sense of what investigations were taking place inside the inspector general's office couldn't possibly have retaliated for all the things. I've seen the various stories that 
someone was walking my dog to sell arms to my dry cleaner. I mean, I mean it's all just crazy. It's all, it's all, it's all crazy stuff. So, so I didn't have, I didn't have access to that information, so I couldn't possibly have retaliated. It would have been impossible. So, so the uh, the right conservatives have said, you know, Barack Obama fired IGs as well, right? And he fired this guy Gerald Walpin, who had discovered that uh, money that was going to AmeriCorps, this left wing organization, was being misused, and, and so Obama fired him. And so one of those fact check, I think it was factcheck.org or whatever it was, says no, 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 because Trump has fired uh, four IGs, and Obama only fired one. But in fact, when Obama was president, forty-seven. That's more than half of the inspector generals in the country, 47 of them, signed an open letter decrying the Obama administration's stonewalling of their investigations. The White House, they said, had placed serious limitations as a quote, serious limitations on access to records that have recently impeded the work. So it's this whole scandal, you know, follow the scandal uh, that is really a a cover up. Scandals of the Trump administration are cover-ups of the scandals, A, of the Obama administration, B, of the uh, incompetent states like New York and California that are ruining their states by overspending, by kowtowing uh, to public sector unions, and the scandal, obviously, of the Obama administration, which is the scandal of the press. That is the scandal of the press. It is the press that is the Nixonian cover-up organization, which is an amazing fact, really, when you think about it, that the people, you know, I started out by saying not only does the left get it wrong, they get it backwards. So the people who are supposed to be spreading information are actually covering information and spreading false information. That's the situation that we're in, which is why that DeSantis cut is so, so beautiful. All right. Let us talk for just a moment about stamps.com. When you want to go to the post office, the one thing you don't want to do is go to the post office. You want the post office in your computer. You do not want to get down there and have to stand online six feet apart from the guy in front of you with a mask. The post office has all kinds of great stuff you want to use, but you can get them through stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can print postage on demand, skip the lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save some money with discounts that you can't even get at the post office. As if that weren't enough, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else you are hunkering down. Uh, Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send, and just leave it for your mail carrier, and it's that easy. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Clavin. That's stamps.com. Enter Clavin and write to the president of the United States and say, Mr. President, how do you spell Clavin? And he will tell you it's K-L-A-V-A-N. Why don't why do I have to say it if you're going to say it? Why don't you just play this anyway? And and don't forget, you, we did a great all access meet last night and I will probably do another one next week, I, I assume. Um, but so you want to be an all access member by the time that happens. So you can ask me all the questions and have all your problems solved. I love talking to you, but you've got to be a subscriber and all access is our highest tier subscriber. So if you become an all access member, we will give you 
two of these leftist tears for when Cuomo is finally exposed. You're going to need two of them. They are solid gold, as you can see, uh, diamond encrusted, as you can also see the diamonds glittering. Uh, now I feel like I actually work for CNN just trying to sell you something that's not there, but they are great. And, and the most important thing is that you use my name when you get your all-access membership. You get 15% off with coupon code CLAVEN right now, plus Plus, you have the satisfaction of not putting in Knowles' name. So it's not just the positive satisfaction of putting in Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. You have the positive satisfaction of not putting in Knowles' names. And we charge you extra for putting in Knowles' name because, because of what it says about you. So it's dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use Clavin to get 15% off. Speaking of Clavin, we have Spencer Clavin. No relation. He asked me to say that. Uh, he's coming up to talk about his new Young Heretics podcast. All right, we are back. Spencer Clavin, no relation. I, again, he asked me to say that is the assistant editor of the Claremont Review of Books, one of the best think tank productions anywhere. It really is. The Claremont Review of Books is terrific. And the American Mind, which is kind of the young person's uh, Claremont Review of Books. And he's got a new podcast, Young Heretics. You can get at youngheretics.com. Spence, how you doing? Oh, hey, Dad. <laughs> Good to see you. Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing great. It's, 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 it's uh, yeah. I thought that I, when I moved to LA, I was going to like, get to, to hang out with you all the time, but now <laughs> like you're locked up in your little Rapunzel tower and I like never get to see you. So it's nice to see your face. I know because I, ha I have to, I have to stay alive because obviously I'm holding the entire world in my imagination. So it, uh, <laughs> it's important for, <laughs> we all for, just for me vanish, to, you know, if you, if you disappear, yeah, exactly. disintegrate like Thanos or Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> If I go, we all go. That's that is the, the rule. Uh, so uh, as goes the Cleveland, so, so goes the world. Uh, so mom says hello. Uh, oh, hey, mom. Um, <laughs> um, what is the Young Heretics? You've got a new podcast uh, that I have not heard yet, but I'm going to go on my walk after this and listen to it. You haven't listened to my show, I, Dad. I listen to your show all the time. Okay, no. Uh, so right, Young Heretics is a show that I've just launched. It launched on. Tuesday, I guess it was after a, a long lead up coronavirus kind of threw a, a wrench into everything. We finally got it out there. But the, the point of the show is it's Western culture without the culture wars. So I, it just occurred to me that we were spending so much time arguing with basically stupid liberals, right? With people who think that Shakespeare is racist and reading Homer is encourages inequality and that, you know, we're not, we're not reading enough, whatever, queer, black, feminist liberation. And so we need to, you know, that's all incredibly stupid. And we can all agree that that's a ridiculous thing to say, but we spend conservatives spend so much time arguing about why that's stupid and trying to defend Western culture, go on the defensive, that we actually get caught in this trap, right? We just get distracted by these, by arguing with idiots. And arguing with idiots is almost never good for the soul, right? It's almost never productive. <laughs> so I'm, I'm obviously everybody knows where I stand on the culture wars. I'm, I'm in favor of taking back the academy and, and doing all of that good work. But I, it occurred to me that it would be good to have a place that we can just set that aside for a second and actually enrich ourselves with just all of this stuff that we spend all this time defending. You know, we spend all this time arguing about why it's okay to read Homer, that we forget sometimes to actually read Homer. And that, that's what Young Heretics is about. It's just sort of every episode, pick some great Western work of Western culture and, and dig into it. 
It is kind of amazing when you think about it that instead of t- instead of actually talking about Shakespeare, which there's so much to say about Shakespeare and Homer and uh, and yeah. you know Plato and all these, instead of talking about that, we're actually talking about the fact that we're not supposed to talk about it. And this kind of this new thing that's called theory, where instead of reading Homer to, to see about Homer, we read Homer so that some feminist or race identitarian can go off on it and talk about that. So what do you? So what's your first show? Your first show is is Homer. Yeah, first shows Homer, the Iliad. I figured go back to the beginning of of Greek literary tradition. There's recently been this kerfuffle back in Oxford where I loved doing my grad degrees and you know had a, had a great time. But they've been arguing about whether it's maybe encourages inequality to require Homer for their classics degree. And it's like saying you know does does it encourage inequality to require that you use like butter to cook, right? It's just, it's essential. Like you just have to, you can't even understand classical literature without Homer. Aeschylus, who's one of the sort of later Greek tragedians said that, you know, all of his plays were like slices from the banquet of Homer. And so this idea that you can, you can, that you can kind of dispense with this stuff if it offends your sensibilities or it doesn't quite, you know, match up with all of the things that you think should be going on in the academy, you know, sort of, this sort of inessential. You don't need Homer. It's actually doing a tremendous disservice. This, these are you know, pinnacles of the of the Western imagination, of the human imagination. They're they're phenomenal poems, songs, really, as I talk about in the episode. And and yeah, I, I just think it's such a crime to deprive people of of the opportunity to be told that this is this is so essential. So that's what the first the first show is. And then we move on to the Bible is the second second episode. Cool. I, I, one of the things yeah. that always bugs me about these conversations is that conservatives, I think, you know, conservatives defend the idea of culture. But mm. when they get to culture, they want to know how is it going to how is Homer going to help win the 32nd congressional district in Ohio? I mean, they don't really know. I feel like right. a lot of political people, a lot of people with political orientation don't really know what culture is for. Um, right. What, what is it for? Why? Why do we have to know this? Why can't I just know that Republican governors are good and Democrat governors are bad? Why do I have to know <laughs> Homer as opposed to Bart? Yeah. So this. This is a rant that I've been going on a lot recently, and it's probably your fault. It's probably because I got it from you. But like uh, that the thing that people don't understand about culture is or about literature, especially, but but art more generally, is that, first of all, it doesn't work like politics, like political arguments do, where you sort of lay out the facts and you prove what you're trying to say. It, it, it's much more of a expressive way of getting truth across, right? I can't make you an argument about why a sunset is beautiful, but I can paint you a painting that that puts that experience that is in my heart into your heart. And that's, people think that that's some sort of squishy, subjective, whatever, but no, that's like all of the important truth about the world lives there. And we can't communicate it except through art. And there's no, there's no like backing out of that. Right. You can't just be like, well, it's not, you know, I'm just going to focus on politics because you live in culture, whether you like it or not. You step out the street every moment of your day. You're listening to songs, you're seeing billboards, you know, and you're being told truths or falsehoods about the world. And those, you know, those shape you, whether you like it or not. You know, it is it is amazing. I mean, we don't understand that this actually is the argument we're in. We're in the idea of this inner person, this inner experience that they yep. have. People talk, talk about reductively as feelings, but it's not feelings. It's everything. It's your joy. It's your love. It's all the things that you experience. And what we have is we really have a group of materialists saying, oh, we'll give you a pill for that. 
You're unhappy, I'll give you a pill and then you'll be happier. And we basically have taken away the experience of being human, which is what freedom is really all about. And what all these, uh, what all these works of poetry and great works of philosophy are all about is about the experience of being a human being, which I think is what we're sort of being sold is not that important. Here's, some, here's a universal income and an antidepressant and go, go your way and everything will be fine. <laughs> have fun, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, have fun. So, so you were in England, how long were you in, you, obviously we raised you the first uh, your eight from two to ten I think in England but then you went back to <laughs> yes, Oxford you, you how, may recall that I was a child once and I know I remember you, you were like that kid in the omen <laughs> right, yeah. you got that English accent and you were terrifying hello daddy I used to think like you were gonna come and steal I used to think I was gonna wake up and find you like a, with a ceremonial dagger above my head <laughs> I'm just glad you remember I thought I was gonna have to be like I'm your son my name is Spencer yeah, <laughs> yeah no they, they actually prepped me in my ear who this was oh um, good right somebody told you but <laughs> when you came back so you were there for five years in graduate school right is that is that right? Yeah, that's um, right. I, I, I couldn't figure out where you were. I kept saying, we haven't seen that guy lately. But, <laughs> but when you came back, what was the biggest culture shock or was there a big culture shock? Well, what, what's funny about that is, you know, one of the experiences of being, I guess, what they call an expatriate. So living outside your home country is if you come back at all, then you get these sudden snapshots where you, you know, you've forgotten a little bit about what it's like to be at home, to be in America. And you just get this concentrated hit of like, I would come back for Christmas or I would come back for the summer. And it's like taking the temperature of the com of the country. Like you, you sort of leave, you forget what's going on in America. You focus on the, the country you're in. And then suddenly you return, you're, you, you get this, you know, this really strong vibe that, oh, such and such a thing is happening in America. And one of the things that I noticed over that time, so while I was in the UK coming back to the US, is, you know, Trump got elected and everybody started tearing their hair out. And, and in the UK, all we heard was about how terrible this was and how everybody was, everything was going to die. The constitution was over. It was, the constitution was crying. The statue of Liberty was torn in half. Like, you know, <laughs> but, but I would come back to the U S during those first early Trump years and just be like, wow, everything is going great. Like I'm mm. in these boroughs of like, you know, I would visit Faith, your, your, your daughter, my sister, <laughs> you, you may recall, I would, I would visit, I would visit Faith. And she's living in this kind of, you know, hyper liberal New York area where everybody thinks the world is falling. And it's like everybody, you know, all the stores are opening. The economy is doing great. Like people are so peaceful and happy. They're raising their kids. Like we don't even know. That's the first thing that was surprising to me is like we don't even know how good things are going until, of course, this this coronavirus thing hit, which I think, you know, we're, we're on the outs. We're, we're on our way out of this this thing. But, you know. Coming back, the, the thing, now that I live here again, I moved, moved back to LA in July, I guess. Now that I live here, I, the, the thing that has really impressed itself upon me is that Americans are actually a very sincere people. And that's mm -hmm. something that, you know, we live in this age of irony and of the internet and, you know, it, it, on, on Twitter, basically everyone's constantly snarky. But the, the people you go out on the street and you, you talk to just sort of randomly, like politics aside, whatever, you know, they're, they're actually being earnest about trying to live the good life. Mm -hmm. Like people, people want joy. They want to be happy and fulfilled. And they also want meaning and, and, a, and a philosophy that's coherent. Unfortunately, they live in an era and in a culture that just like doesn't offer them anything that looks like that. So that, I mean, a lot of our, I think a lot of our neuroses right now aren't that the people are somehow, you know, wrong or degraded or flawed. It's the people are trying 
really sincerely. And just they're, you know, they're in a cultural wasteland. We live in this, this time mm -hmm. of cultural wasteland. You know, you call your uh, podcast The Young Heretics. It's at youngheretics.com. You you hang out at the Claremont Review of Books and the American Mind, and there are a lot of young folks over there who are young conservatives, brilliant guys like James Polos, a pal. He's, he's a really smart guy. Oh, yeah. What are the, the, the young conservatives seeing from old codgers like me that they would like to change? That they, that they, what makes them young conservatives as opposed to old conservatives? This is really interesting because, you know, uh, if you would ask me that maybe a year ago, I think my standard response would have been, you know, conservatives, they, they or young conservatives are, are down on or, you know, they're, they're into the small government stuff. They're into being allowed to live their lives. They're not so into this social conservatism stuff. They don't want the kind of prudery and the scolding and all of this old fashioned, you know, morality that goes along with some of the older models of conservatism. But now that I've spent some time working for Claremont and kind of getting in on the young conservative scene here in the U.S., I actually don't think that's right. I don't think that the difference between young and old conservatives is that young conservatives just sort of don't care about social conservatism. I think it's that they they want a conservatism that acknowledges the world as it is, but hmm. still acknowledges that part of that world is the moral universe. So, you know, it might not look like the 1950s when we finally, you know, take back the culture and, and reshape it in the, the way that we want. And I think that young conservatives tend probably to be a little bit more open minded to some of the things, some of the social changes that have happened over the last few decades. But they, they're not into this kind of libertarian shift that that happened, I think, in, in a lot of mainstream conservatism. Mm, they're not into just like take your hands off yeah, they're not into, you know, take your hands off the the government. The government should deserve like the whole state should just absent itself from questions of right and wrong. A lot of conservatives are trying to say, you know, all all law is about right and wrong. And you right. may believe that personal liberty, I believe that personal liberty is a very important good that the state should be involved in protecting. But that's not the end of the story. And I think cons yeah. young conservatives are so starved for that stuff. They're so starved for teaching on the good and the moral and the beautiful. I, I have to stop you there. I am actually out of time. Oh, yeah. Drop by the house. We can continue okay. this conversation. Yeah, uh, well, bring, liquor, drink, right. yeah. bring Yeah, bring liquor. And uh, also, now that Always. you're making money, remember to support your, your parents. Uh, it's good to see you. Spencer Clayton. You look just fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> the Young Heretics at youngheretics.com. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, it's great to see you. Thank you. <laughs> All, right. All right, folks, I'm out of time, but uh, that means the Clavenless weekend is about to begin. You're doomed. Uh, but if anybody survives, I will be here on Monday. You can be here, too. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant Director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. 
Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. See you there.